This is ContraZoom, a live in limbo production. This is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. I'm Dakota Arsenault, and today we're going to be talking about the recently wrapped up uh, Toronto International Film Festival, and I am joined uh, once again by our resident TIFF expert, Mahek Saeed, who you can <laughs> normally hear on Capsule. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Um, it's day three post-festival, which means I'm actually well-rested, which is really nice. <laughs> um, I haven't had much sleep over the last 10 days, as you can imagine. But um, yeah, it's good. How are you? I, I'm good. I, you know, normally during TIFF, I, I try to exchange some some texts with you, but uh, I was kind of busy one and two. I figured you were just a little bit busy. And uh, <laughs> so it probably wouldn't have been uh, that much of a back and forth dialogue going on. Uh, we did talk a little bit, but not very much. Uh, no. But if I can understand your your text correctly, you saw 28 <laughs> movies, and I'm just mm-hmm. going to ramble these off. You saw Stronger, I, Tanya, Mary Shelley, K- Killing of a Sacred Deer, Mom and Dad, Roman J. Israel, Esquire, What P- What Will People Say, Lady Bird, Euphoria, Downsizing, The Mountain Between Us, The Darkest Hour, Ava, O Lucy, Three <laughs> Billboardings Outside Ebbing, Missouri, Twice, uh, Kings, Mudbound, Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool, Sheik Jackson, Women Walks Ahead, Woman Walks Ahead, On Chisel Beach, The Current War, Shape of Water, I Love You Daddy, Papillion, Unicorn Store, Three Christs, and Disobedience. Whew! Yeah, <laughs> you got it. All right. Wow, that was uh, exhausting. <laughs> it was, that was tiring just listening to it. I can't believe I actually went through all of that. <laughs> if, if I pick out a random movie, are you even going to be able to remember details of this? I think I can do it um, because after you challenged me to actually list out the movies, which <laughs> I admittedly had some problems with because I, I kept going down the list and I'm like, why am I only at 25? What are the three that I'm missing? Uh, so I had to spend a lot of time today uh, just kind of trying to remember what I saw. And yeah, but uh, I think now I've got enough of a refresher that I would be able to. <laughs> Do you keep any sort of film journal or, or notes when you when you experience something like this? How do you keep track of everything? Um, so this year I actually didn't. Typically I do have a little a little notebook with me to, to take notes, but I, I just felt like there was so much going on that I didn't even have time to process it other than being able to kind of figure out what I liked, what was mediocre and what I wasn't too big of a fan of. Um, and I, I think a lot of those points, you know, the main points of each of those films kind of stuck with me. So I, I think I'm okay this time around. I didn't feel the need to, to document it per se, but I did use my social media to do so, actually. Every single time I saw a movie, I did a quick quick little tweet about, you know, what my thoughts were. And it was nice to engage with people in real time about some of those films. Oh, that's good. Now, it seems like every year you have some sort of crazy adventure story. Do you have anything like that this year? Um, this year, I, uh, I mean, I, I did a little celeb spotting, like just casually, though, other than my 
my real time dedication towards trying to see Idris Elba. I don't know why I just sort of fixated on Idris Elba this festival. He had two films, uh, Molly's Game and The Mountain Between Us. And I was just like, you know what? I just deeply appreciate this man. Um, sometimes physically, mostly because of his work. <laughs> and I, I just wanted to, to try and uh, catch a glimpse of him. So I did, uh, I did go into one of those official red carpet fan zones and, uh, attempted to, um, you know, kind of be there near the presence of the great Idris Elba. And that was a success. I can't say that there was anything too, too crazy. Uh, I, you know, I saw like random, you know, random little instances where it's like, okay, I'm in a rush line and all of a sudden people are turning around and it's like, Hey, Benedict Cumberbatch just walked out of this screening. Who knew? And it's like, <laughs> Oh, Rachel McAdams is watching the disaster artist right now. And you know, like, Little stories like that, but nothing, nothing too crazy this time around. No selfies, no, like, you know, it was more, I think this year was really about the films. Uh, all right, that's good. So I guess I have to ask then, when is uh, your first date with Idris? Because I imagine you obviously got his number, right? Ob- obviously I did. And obviously he said, whenever the kids are away at a sleepover, I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> I know, it was a, it was a real mood killer, but... <laughs> Uh, I did manage to actually see him in person from a, a little bit of a distance uh, and his beautiful girlfriend. And uh, I saw The Mountain Between Us, one of his films, uh, on the second last day of the festival. So I got my I got my Idris experience and I'm quite satisfied. Well, the, that sounds amazing. And I am very <laughs> jealous of you. <laughs> I also saw Jessica Chastain. That was very cool. Ooh, I, have to I love her. Yeah. And she gave like. I just happened to be recording in that moment. She gave this perfect little wave from behind her van and then walked away. And it was like the perfect, like four seconds, like meme worthy kind of hello. Goodbye from Jessica Chastain. Like <laughs> so that, that was, that was a great keepsake memory. <laughs> oh, amazing. Yeah. You always run into so many people there. You, you just never know what's going to happen next at a festival like that. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's the celeb side, right? Like when you're in rush lines and lining up for films, you you meet so many interesting and incredible people. Like I, I think that's one of my favorite parts about attending TIFF every year is that I just, I always get to meet such interesting people from around the world. Like I, when I lined up for I, Tanya, I was uh, rushing with this gentleman who was a Norwegian film programmer. And so we had a very in-depth conversation about the industry over there and, you know, about festivals around the world. And then there was this woman from North Carolina who was in a rush line with me. And then she bought a ticket from a random, but she came back half an hour later with a water bottle for me, like just, just out of consideration. So it's just, there's so much, you know, there's so much great, so many great connections that come out of this festival. And I think that really, you know, made an impact more than any other star that I had seen. And you didn't manage to get any hookups for ContraZoom? Like, what's the deal? <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. It just, it, I don't know. No, no conversations, no nothing. But I do have, I have reviews. That much I can offer. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. I guess uh, that's a good segue. I guess we can kind of talk in uh, maybe of these 28 films that you saw, what were some highlights for you? Yeah, uh, so I mentioned I, Tanya. That was the first film I saw of the festival, and it remained my favorite out of all 28 that I had seen. Wow. I, yeah, it was, it was one of those movies that I was very keen on seeing. 
I remember when the project was first announced about a year ago, and I, I read about the story, uh, the Tanya Harding story. I don't know. Are you familiar with it? Uh, a little bit. More so just sort of like, ooh, yeah, it's the Tanya Harding story, the figure skating yeah. <laughs> controversy where she tried to have someone killed. Yeah. So it, it um, basically, Tanya Harding was a professional skater, and uh, there's a lot of gray area in terms of what happened, but essentially someone associated with her either, well, it was either her who carried out the order or someone like associated with her basically sent someone to uh, destroy the knee of fellow U.S. Olympic Olympic skater Nancy Kerrigan. And uh, Tanya ultimately, ultimately got kicked out of the association, was never allowed to skate again. And Nancy Kerrigan, her knee healed and she went on to win a silver medal. Uh, so it was like, a, it was a very big event when it happened. And I vaguely remember it growing up. And then, you know, when the project was announced, I was like, this sounds super fascinating because I actually really love Margot Robbie. I think, uh, or, you know, I felt like she would be able to take on a character like this and do something really interesting with it. And that was the case. It was, it really was. She, uh, it was a total transformation, definitely a career high performance. And I think films like this, which tend to be, you know, biopics, they tend to be very linear and kind of, you know, there's a, there's a kind of formula to them. And I was very pleasantly surprised that I, Tanya is actually more of a dark comedy. Uh, now that being said, there's a lot of, a lot of darkness in there, but it, it's handled, it's handled in such a oddly humorous way that, you know, you can, you can digest it. Uh, it's not something that like, you know, will I don't know. It, I, I just, I just found like the way that it was directed was very, very, or the way it was written was very, um, very engaging. And I think the bigger, the bigger story out of that film is actually Allison Janey, who um, plays Tanya's mother. And it's kind of like, it's like a Tilda Swinton esque performance. Like it's a total transformation. I think that's a performance that we're going to see um, really be kind of, uh, celebrate in the next few months. Uh, so that was that was a great first film to see and one that I cannot wait to actually uh, be distributed, hopefully uh, later in this season. Um, a couple of the other ones that I saw that I really enjoyed um, included The Shape of Water, the new Del Toro film. And all I can really say about that is just it's such a beautiful love story uh, made on a very small budget of $20 million. Um, and the screening I went to del Toro came out and did a Q and a, and it was, it was incredible because he, he came out, he had a, a nice kind of spiel about, you know, about the film, about wanting to make something about love, about wanting to make a film as Canadian as possible because del Toro does do a lot of productions in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he had a lot of crew members on this film who were from Toronto, uh, and he filmed parts of the movie. Uh, here in the city and um, there are a few scenes in the Elgin theater where the screening for the shape of water occurred every single time throughout the week. So there's this real meta experience that happened, <laughs> uh, which crazy. is very, yeah, it was very cool. It was, it was a very surreal kind of moment to experience that and then um, have Del Toro kind of come out and talk about this movie so passionately and with so much love and people ask, actually asked really great questions at that Q and a, and I actually had to leave it early to rush off to another film. So oh. I was very sad about that, but what I did manage to catch was great. Yeah, Del Toro yeah. really seems to be someone like I know a lot of celebrities really love TIFF because it is really focused on the arts um, more so than something like Cannes, which is a lot more about the celebrity aspect of it. But I think Del Toro really does 
love everything that Tiff represents because he's done residencies at the light box. I've gone and see him, seen him speak and things like that. And he always talks about in interviews and he definitely has shot multiple movies in Toronto as well. So I think there's some really na- a simpatico relationship that Del Toro shares with this city that I, I really appreciate. And I can't wait to see the shape of water too. Yeah. I think it's, uh, it's, it's just such a beautiful film and I'm really it's an experience I think and I think it's one of his best works yet so that'll it'll be great to talk about that when it's out and you can you know hopefully you feel similarly as as I how I feel as a big fan of his I I don't doubt that yeah Um, yeah any other highlights (laughs) yeah I've god there's so many but I I saw a uh, Norwegian film called what will people say which I really really loved Um, it was a co-production between Pakistan and Oslo, and uh, it's about a Pakistani girl who's growing up um, in a family which, you know, has definitely has a deep, like, hand on cultural roots. Uh, but she's also, you know, a teenage girl who's growing up in Oslo and, you know, kind of wants to stray from those, some of those tendencies. And then she ultimately kind of gets punished for that. Uh, and it was, it was a story that kind of resonated me, with me because of my South Asian background and, you know, knowing this kind of re- very, uh, very complicated, but also very frustrating part of our culture. And one that kind of, you know, falls into the patriarchal side of things and the, the double standard side of things. And it, that really hit home for me. Um, that was great. And then I, I, every year I try to fit in a midnight madness, um, movie just because that audience is insane and Mm -hmm. it's a complete experience in itself. And I saw this film called mom and dad, Uh, preceded by a short film called Great Choice, which is about people perpetually stuck in a Red Lobster commercial. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just as good as you would imagine it to be. Um, Unfortunately, I don't know if that's going to get distributed because I have heard through the grapevine that apparently the director is potentially being sued for that um, and for infringing, uh, which is really sad because it's it's so brilliant, that short. It's only it's about, you know, eight minutes long and it's, it's great. And uh, Mom and Dad is a, it's a film starring Nicolas Cage and Selma Blair as parents. Mm. And basically they're, you know, they start killing their children or trying to kill their children uh, within a society that's all of a sudden also trying to kill children. Uh, So it's pretty wild. It's um, a pretty high octane kind of film. There's a lot of like really crazy cuts in the cinematography and the the direction. um, And the concept is not necessarily something that everyone will kind of latch on to but it was a a very unique midnight madness experience i would say and nicholas cage was there and it was just he's a legend you know so i <laughs> i definitely felt that um so those are some of the highlights i think nice um do you have any maybe not necessarily low lights because usually in this you don't really get bad movies but there maybe some that didn't either meet your expectations or just kind of didn't really resonate with you yeah, definitely. Um, Mary Shelley is a film that I saw pretty early on in the festival. I actually went to the to the world premiere of that. Um, uh, and it's a it's a movie about Mary Shelley, who is the uh, author of Frankenstein. And I was hoping for more out of it. Like I, I really enjoy those period pieces, especially ones that kind of lean towards like a sort of gothic kind of style in their storytelling. And I I appreciated a lot about the about you know her history and sort of the characterization but it just it never got to a point where I was 
deeply involved in it, I think. And so I, I felt like it just, it kind of missed the emotional mark that it could have hit. Um, Elle Fanning did a, a decent job. Um, Maisie Williams from Game of Thrones is in that film, but only for like 10 minutes. Um, so it, it, it didn't hit the mark as much as I had hoped it would. And then, um, I'm just trying to think of, think back to all the films that I've seen, uh, on, on, uh, Chisel Beach, I think that's what it's called on Chesil, no, Chesil Beach. Um, that's a film starring Shersha Ronan. Uh, it's based on a novel. I haven't read the book, but I, I was, I was kind of, it was a story that, you know, like the first hour or so, like you're, you're kind of like, okay, where's this going? Like, you know, or like you, you kind of think it's going in one direction. And then at the, at the sort of the climax of the film, the, the, the kind of revelations that come from it don't seem true to what, to everything else that you've seen for the past hour. And in fact, I feel like that was an injustice towards what actually happens. And I, I felt like, you know, that it, it could have been better than what it was, but they didn't give the the character development the respect that it needed. Mm-hmm. And um, I think one other film that I'm I'm kind of disappointed didn't hit the mark for me as as I hoped it would was Louis C.K.'s um, very secret but you know suddenly well known project I Love You Daddy, which is this black and white film uh, that he premiered at TIFF. It was the world premiere. I went to the very last screening on the very last day of the festival. In fact, it was the last film that I had seen. And it just, it didn't do it for me. I don't know. I, and I've kind of been listening to a few podcasts and reading some, some articles and stuff about post-TIFF. And one, uh, one journalist described it as a kind of more crude version of a Woody Allen film. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, I can see that, but in it, without the sort of like, you know, snappiness of a Woody Allen film, I guess is how I would describe it as the only thing. But um, yeah, it didn't, it didn't do much for me, unfortunately. And it's got a really good cast too, which is a little surprising. Yeah. yeah it just, uh, there was, there were some elements in there that I was like, okay, this is interesting. Or some of the performances were really good, but I just, I, it didn't, it didn't again, hit the mark as I'd hoped it would. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That's uh that's always disappointing um to hear about that um now tiff kind of has an award section a little bit different than than other festivals you know with the con you have the grand jury prizes where it's kind of assembled professionals usually directors writers actors things like that in the industry that vote on it but the tiff prizes are very different where for the most part all the big awards at least are voted on by the people um now before i get into the winners did you uh fill out ballots i will be totally honest and say i did not (laughs) Um, yeah i don't know what it is every year i i kind of intend to but then i think my barrier is that i i have this thing about holding on to my ticket stubs like i really like to collect them and you have to submit them yeah, well, so there's two ways to vote for uh, for the People's Choice. It's either you uh, throw them in the in the boxes that you know volunteers are holding at the end of every screening, or you can actually go on the TIFF app and submit your ticket number. Uh, so I think for me, it's just like okay. On one hand, I don't want to physically give out give up my ticket. But on the other hand, I don't take the time to actually go in and manually enter my my uh, ticket number. So I, I, I'm, I, you know, there's lots of people who do do it. And I think most people are willing to give up these, uh, these 
these pieces of paper. <laughs> um, but I guess I'm a festival hoarder of some sort. I don't know. <laughs> so then I, I know that you can only vote on movies that you've seen, but, yeah. uh, say if you see two movies, but think that one is better than the other, if through the app, are you able to vote for, uh, the same film twice then theoretically? Um, no, because you have to have the one ticket number, right? And I'm pretty sure as soon as you enter it, it will register that and then you can't repeat it. Hmm. Um, but like, you know, if there's two films or three films or five films, even that you're like, yeah, I love this one and this one and this one and this one, then you're able to vote as many times as you'd like, uh, per film, or, you know, you can submit as many, as many entries per film kind of thing. It's obviously not a perfect system because no. you're sort of limited to uh if you're able to get tickets to a certain movie or not and obviously all the buzzy ones and the ones that have the big world premieres or have the most stars in them are going to be in more high demand than others yeah no definitely and i mean like it's not exactly the most mathematically <laughs> um you know like straightforward system because people like you know the idea typically would be okay you just vote for the one that you like but when you're voting for multiple then it doesn't I mean there's there's some argument there that it's like okay well if one person votes for like 10 films and what is the value of the vote kind of mm -hmm. thing you know? you're just kind of spreading it thin I don't I don't know yeah. it's cool that we are at a festival or we you know Toronto has a festival that is so public facing and that uh, incorporates the public voice so much. And I think a lot of creators around the world want to see or hear that voice and get that, that real time reaction. So it is cool that people can be that involved in the process. Uh, and now I saw before the winners were announced, you were posting on Twitter about who you thought would be nominated. And while you were close with the runner up, you I was. didn't <laughs> actually get the winner, which went to three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, mm -hmm. uh, with the runners up being I, Tanya, and Call Me By Your Name. Now, you have seen yeah. three billboards, and you also saw I, Tanya. What were mm -hmm. your thoughts on three billboard billboards? Yeah, so I, it's so interesting being in festival mode because, you know, you go in with a list of movies, <clears throat> and, like, you know, you kind of, you intend to see them, but then along the way, as screenings happen and as, you know, people get to see the films, things start to spread, right? You know, like people start talking about these, these really great movies and about um, saying, you know, why it's worth seeing and all this stuff. So three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri was not on my radar whatsoever. I mean, I had, I'd heard about it. I, you know, some people like the director's work. I think he directed uh, in Bruges before. So mm -hmm. I, which I haven't seen, um, but a lot of people really love that film. And I think Seven Psychopaths is another film. Mm -hmm. um, so again, I haven't seen Seven Psychopaths. So a lot of people were like, yes, we must go see this director. And so as the festival went on, I started to hear really great things. I'm fairly certain that the screening Benedict Cumberbatch walked out of was a three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri screening. Uh, so I was like, okay, all right. If Cumberbatch is in on this, then you know, maybe there's, there's something to be said here. So I managed to uh, squeeze in a screening on, um, on the Friday before the festival ended. And again, like I, I rushed it. I was only there for 20 minutes. I was in the very back row of princess of Wales, like one of the last seats possible, but I did get in. And I think it's very much deserving of the people's choice award. And it's funny because 
like I spoke to a few people outside and they were kind of like, well, where did that come from? Because all everyone was talking about this festival was things like Shape of Water and the Disaster Artist and I, Tanya, you know, like there weren't some people, I guess, might not have felt the presence of three billboards, but I think the people who saw it early on the festival really, really loved it. Um, and that's, you know, when I got to see it, I really enjoyed it as well. It, again, it is a more of a, a dark comedy. The, uh, the, the sort of, um, the premise of the film is that there's a, this mother who, uh, eight months prior to where the film starts, uh, lost her daughter who, uh, was raped while she was dying. Right. So very, very dark subject, very terrible experience as a mother to lose a child like that. And so she puts up these three billboards to basically call out local law enforcement and say, why haven't you done anything and to keep them on their toes. And so as we kind of go through this film, we unwrap this story about the town and about the people and about forgiveness and about justice as well. And it's handled um, so brilliantly and so again, humorously. And I think a large part of that is because of the performances. Uh, Francis McDormand plays the lead character. Incredible strong, real badass, um, and someone that you can also sympathize with at the exact same time. Uh, and her performance is definitely going to get a huge push this award season. Uh, Sam Rockwell plays one of the police officers. And I think this is one of the strongest roles I've ever seen him in and one of the strongest performances. And then Woody Harrelson is in it as well. And he's really great. So I can see why it played so nicely. I liked it enough that I wanted to see it again. So I, I saw it a second time. The, um, at the people's choice screening and it, it played up just as well as it did the first time. I still laughed. I still was shocked, even though I knew what was coming and uh, the audience enjoyed it just as much as well. So, yeah, I think this movie is probably one of my most anticipated of the year. And Bruges is one of my all time favorites. The fact that you haven't seen it, I, I'm pretty shocked by that. Like it's, <laughs> it's so good. It yeah. So funny. And like, I don't, that was kind of like my reevaluation of Colin Farrell, where it's kind of continued in recent years with like things like the lobster, but he plays this character so well in that movie. Um, and then everyone else in that movie, Brendan Gleeson, uh, as well, the two of them together are so great. So I was, I'm really looking forward to this. I was a little disappointed by Seven Psychopaths, his last movie. It's funny, but nowhere near as great. The script isn't as tight as in Bruges. Uh, mm-hmm. But everything that I've seen and heard so far definitely makes this uh, one of my most anticipated of the year. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. Um, now, you obviously said earlier that Itania was one of your favorites and that was one of the runners up. Is that something that uh, you're, you're pretty happy with then? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because when you look at all three of the films that um, placed for the People's Choice, they all played fairly early on in the festival. So it's kind of nice to see that they had some longevity, right? Because a lot of the time when films play so early, and especially this year, I found a lot of uh, quite a few films that I wanted to see only had maybe two screenings in the first few days. Uh, so it was very hard to catch them. Um, and I, Tanya was one of those films, I think, that they had like two screenings, I think, or three screenings to begin with. And then they actually ended up adding more because the demand was so high for it because people were talking about it. And I'm glad to see that it resonated with people just as much as it had resonated with me. Uh, Call Me By Your Name was a film uh, that was uh, picked up at Sundance earlier this year, came out to rave reviews, and then it's just kind of been tucked away for a little while until festival season. And it had a pretty 
pretty big presence at the beginning of the festival, uh, but only had two screenings and I think only had one press screening as well. So I was a little surprised because of the amount of reception that I heard for Shape of Water. I had definitely thought that it would have placed because um, all the screenings, at least the first few, were sold out completely. Like I, I heard from uh, people I had met that they didn't even let people in from the rush lines. Uh, the screenings had standing ovations at every single one. So I, I was a little surprised that it didn't make it in there. Um, but I don't think, you know, that's going to hinder uh, how it performs the next few months. So um, definitely all great films, I think. And I'm very excited to see Call Me By Your Name. Now, it's kind of interesting where, like, you, you look at maybe the history of People's Choice Award winners, especially recently, more often than not, they tend to be more of the crowd-pleasing movies, even if they're more serious in nature, um, not necessarily the best-made movie. Is this something that you sort of agree with the way that this award is sort of handed out or do you wish it was kind of done uh, with a bit different criteria? So that's an interesting question because, and it's funny, I actually earlier today, I listened to an interview with Cameron Bailey and Piers Handling, the uh, artistic director and CEO of TIFF. And both of them said that, you know, the films for people's choice always have to resonate with people emotionally. Right. And I think, I think that's very true. Now, if those emotions don't count the emotions of people in rush lines who just barely get into films like the disaster artists where they only let in like five people while the rest of us idiots waited outside for five hours, hoping to get in, um, is not necessarily the most inclusive part of it, I guess, but also that would never make any sense. Um, I, but I, I think that the audience audiences have a pretty, especially the ones in Toronto, I think we're a pretty knowledgeable audience overall. And I, I don't think that the way they vote or the sort of the tendencies of this prize, um, I don't, I don't foresee any issues with them really. I think, you know, if there's, if there's a film like, you know, Lady Bird, for example, which is another really big film that came out during the festival. Um, and it's just like a really warm, loving, beautiful film by Greta Gerwig. It's her directorial debut. Uh, with Shosha Ronan, and that resonated with a lot of people, right? And it's totally different to your your typical kind of drama-heavy performance or drama-heavy film. Um, but I, I think if people really wanted to vote vote for it and vote for it in, they would have. You know, I don't, I don't think, I don't really see much of a, I don't see, I don't see that mark being missed kind of thing or any sort of issues with the way the the results come out. Yeah, well, that, that is good to know. Um... And I think sort of one thing to really notice as far as a trend goes, everyone sort of talks about how TIFF is the real launching pad uh, for the Oscar season. It's the first fall festival where we get a glimpse of all the movies that come out later in the year. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of the times the ones that come out in Sundance, either they don't come out till this time or, you know, some of them might not come out until next year at all. So there's such a big disconnect. Whereas these, we know, oh, hey, this movie is playing now it'll be out in theaters in a month month and a half something like that uh but it really has been a predictor of uh oscar nominations and so the fact that three billboards outside ebbing missouri won people's choice i think it's pretty safe to say it has 
locked itself into a Best Picture nomination because if you look at previous winners, you have Room nomination, Imitation Game nomination, 12 Years a Slave winner, King's Speech winner, Slumdog Millionaire million, uh, winner, Silver Lines Playbook nomination, La La Land win? No, not winner. <laughs> no. Sorry. I read, I read the wrong card. Not oh winner. <laughs> so, like, you get all those movies... And we have to basically assume that three billboards is a lock, isn't it? Yeah, I would, I would definitely, at least at this point, I would say that it is. And I, I did see a number of kind of Oscar centric films or ones that I think will definitely be a part of the conversation in the next few months. And I think three billboards is again, like I said, it, it resonated with audiences enough and it's not, it is a drama and it has a lot of darkness to it, but you know, as you've already kind of discussed about in Bruges, so you probably have a good idea about what this director likes to work with script wise. And it's so, it's just so crowd pleasing because of how strong the performances are, how humorous uh, they make out of a very dark situation and the, the script writing. And I, I think it's enough of a crowd pleaser that also played well with critics. You know, I think that it, it's one of those films that balanced between both the public audience and critics that, it'll be a part of that conversation. And I'm, I would, I would say, yeah, let's, let's count that in for a best picture nom. So then I, I guess if I were to kind of look at who's involved with this, I would predict a best picture nomination, probably maybe not a best director, but definitely uh, a best screenplay for McDonough who wrote it as well. Uh, mm-hmm. And a best actress for Francis McDermott. Would you, would you agree with that? Would there be any other maybe people in the cast or parts of the filmmaking that might get nominated? I think that's pretty, I think, you know, the ones that you, that you listed are, is a pretty accurate kind of prediction. I, I think, and I'd like to see how this goes in the next few months, but I could see Sam Rockwell being a part of that conversation for a supporting actor. Uh, again, like I, I haven't seen his whole kind of filmography, but I have seen certain pieces over the years and it was one, this performance I think was a real, you know, like you kind of got to be a part of his journey as a character. And I think he did a really great job with it. So I, I could foresee him potentially walking in a supporting actor nom. Mm, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with I, Tanya being the runner up, does that put Margot Robbie as maybe one of the front runners for best actress? I, I think this is Margot Robbie's best performance. Um, I, I don't know, honestly. I, I, I would like to see her a part of that conversation, and she will be a part of it. And I, I at least right now, I would say that she'd probably be a lock-in for Best Actress. Will she win? I don't think so. Um, I do think Allison Janney is probably the bigger conversation that people are going to have, and she is 100% a lock-in for Best Supporting Actress because that performance outshines everything else that you see in that film. Um, Sebastian Stan is also in it and I gotta say it's one of his better performances as well and I I think that this film is going to get a huge push over the next few months so I could see him entering that supporting actor category as well yeah it definitely seems like it's already starting to get a bit of the push from Mm -hmm. building off the buzz that it was getting at TIFF yeah exactly and it picked up one of the biggest distribution deals at the festival um, by a company called Neon um, which I think acquired the film for like five or six million um, so it's, it's only a matter of time, I think, um, until we start seeing a big push for this film. 
Now, are there any others that you think that you saw or maybe you heard buzz about that look like they might be uh, contenders either for the acting nominations or Best Picture itself? Yeah, um, I think the big uh, Best Actor kind of um, kind of film that we're you know a lot of people are talking about, and I think rightly so, is Darkest Hour, which stars uh, Gary Oldman as Winston Churchill. Um, and directed by Joe Wright. Now, I know like Churchill is a very kind of done, sort of tired thing in a sense, uh, but this is a truly exceptional performance from Gary Oldman. And I, I have to say, for a film uh, that, you know, like many others that we've seen, covers a very, very particular time and a very important time in our history, which is World War II, um, on the precipice of uh, Dunkirk or, you know, kind of parallel to the Dunkirk time. Um, and, uh, you know, the war with Hitler, of course, it, I was very surprised at how humorous, uh, Winston Churchill is portrayed in this film. I think, um, it's, again, I'm always so shocked when films are actually funny, uh, especially these kind of period films. And, uh, I think Gary Oldman really took that role on, in a, in a way that we haven't seen him do with other roles. I mean, he's, he's an incredibly strong actor, but I think that this is a definite lock-in for him. Um, I think one film that I'm kind of interested to see, and I, I, I don't know, because it, it, it kind of opened to lukewarm reviews here at, like at, the, at the festival, is Roman J. Israel Esquire, which is the new Denzel Washington film um, directed by the same guy who did Nightcrawler a few years back, which also had a huge place at TIFF, and uh, unfortunately didn't get Jake Gyllenhaal that Oscar that a lot of people were hoping for. But um, the film itself wasn't as strong as I had hoped it would have been, but I do think that Denzel gives a very, very good performance uh, in a very odd character, uh, one that's kind of grounded in a lot of social activism and, you know, uh, has his own kind of individual quirks. And um, I'd be, I, I really kind of hope that that becomes a part of the conversation in the next few months. Um, again, Shape of Water, I, that's going to be a best picture sort of deal. Maybe Del Toro. I would love to see Del Toro get a Best Director nom for that film. Um, yeah. That would be, yeah, that would be amazing because I, I think he's achieved something with this movie that a lot of other filmmakers could really strive for because, you know, it was a small budget, but a big story and one that had a lot of love and some really strong performances in there as well from like Sally Hawkins and Michael Shannon and Octavia Spencer did a pretty good job in it as well. So there's, there's definitely stuff to talk about there. And, um, again, I, I mentioned Lady Bird earlier. Um, uh, that would be very interesting to see if that can gain some momentum because it's this kind of like warm indie flick about, you know, coming of age story that a lot of people really loved. And, um, I think the last movie that I'll talk about or the last two that I can kind of mention real quick is uh, Downsizing, um, which I saw. It has, I don't know, it's a very divisive film and I'm, I'd love to see how it's going to play out in a bigger public audience because I think it opened to like really rave reviews at Venice, I believe. And then it went to Telluride and it was kind of lukewarm and then it went to TIFF and it was kind of lukewarm. Um, and it's, it's, it's an interesting concept. Um, Matt Damon is okay in it. But uh, I, 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 I'm just curious. I'm curious to see how that performs. And then lastly is The Current War, which is a big film. Benedict Cumberbatch, Tom Holland, Nicholas Holt, 
uh, Michael Shannon um, talking about the war of electricity in the early, in the 1800s, um, which was, a, it was actually a very, very um, engaging film. I got to say, sometimes I get bored of these kind of like run of the mill biopic type of stories, but uh, I thought it was well paced. Uh, the acting was very good. And um, there's some really, there's some interesting choices in the cinematography that I think uh, people are going to be, they're, they're going to enjoy that in the next few months. So let's see. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, definitely lots that I was not really familiar with that I definitely need to check out. Uh, mm-hmm. I think there's one movie that you haven't really mentioned yet is, uh, has uh, Yorgos Lanthimos finally going to be able to break into the mainstream <laughs> with the killing of a sacred deer? Uh, you know, I, I think I told you this when we when we briefly connected. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ha- I haven't seen Dogtooth, right? Uh, the only the only film of his that I've seen is The Lobster, which I absolutely loved um, when it came to TIFF two years ago. Didn't get distribution in North America until a year later. Um, and I think that film, like, it's a dark comedy and it's accessible. And I remember I was having a conversation with someone and it was like, but it wasn't even that accessible, you know, as a story. Like, I don't, I don't think unless you're into those kind of, those kind of films, like if for a general public kind of thing, it might not play as easily. And there's absolutely no way killing of a sacred deer. Like if you could not, you know, absorb the lobster and get into that, you will not get into the killing of a sacred deer. Now it's, it's a pretty wildly dark film. Um, and I, I love the, I love the screenwriting. I, again, I think that's I think the the lobster got nominated for a screenplay Oscar last time around, if I'm not misca- mistaken. He did, yes. Um, and so I, I could potentially see it getting in there, but it would be a wild pick. Like it would be a very a very wild pick because of how the movie plays out, and there's a couple of really crazy scenes in there, and uh, the the ending is pretty pretty nuts. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if this if this will be it for him. I think he's seemingly perfectly content uh, being on the fringes of the film world. You know, he sort of harkens back to the days of the European auteurs where if you're a film student, you definitely knew who these people were, but they didn't really make that much of an impact in Hollywood, even if they attracted A-list talent. Yeah. And uh, you know what? He gets to make what he wants using limited budgets, but getting actors that are willing to defer salaries to work with someone of his caliber Mm -hmm. in the end i think everyone wins yeah definitely i mean they've this film is really really great i I did enjoy it quite a bit but again I, i i think you know similar to what you said it might not be for everyone he might not need to enter that space but still can be appreciated so hopefully people do get a chance to see it and uh and appreciate it the way I did and the way you will, I'm sure, and everyone else who loves his work. Nice. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, I guess to kind of wrap things up a little bit, uh, any final thoughts on this year's TIFF? Where does it sort of rank for you and your experiences? Um, are you going to do this same insanity next year? Yeah, I mean, every year I try to um, I try to up what I did the previous year. Um, and so it's been a kind of gradual increase, I think. I think the first year I only did three films, then I went to 13, then 18, then 22, and now 28 this year. Um, so I, I definitely, I, I'm one of those people who loves being in the TIFF bubble, running from screening to screening. Literally, on the second last day of the festival, I had five movies in a day, which um, I did twice during this year's festival. And all I did was, like, I'd go see a film, 
I'd have a half hour block to get, you know, from one theater to the next and get into the line and all that stuff. And I, I love that experience because that rush of being in this environment of people who really love film, who really love storytelling um, and who really love to be a part of something special is why I attend this festival every year. I think it's, it's just, it's so much fun and it's such a unique experience. Um, one thing I got to give props to um, for, you know, the staff and the, the programmers at TIFF is the push that they're, that they're doing for female filmmakers. Um, so they have a whole campaign going on right now called Share Her Journey. And as a part of the festival, 30% of the films are directed by female directors. And I, I wasn't necessarily conscious of, you know, which films are being directed by female directors um, from the ones that I saw. But I did a kind of tally and I realized that I actually did see about 30% of the films that I had seen were in fact directed by females, which was really, which was really, really great. And some of the ones that I saw were some of my favorite and there was really strong storytelling. So I'm, I'm really grateful that the organization is pushing that and bringing in more of those voices because it, I saw some really great films as a result um, of those programming choices. And I hope that we see more of that in the coming years. Um, I think my one criticism, if any, uh, is that I just wish TIFF would do more screenings of films, especially the ones that happened earlier on in the festival. Uh, so I talked, you know, we talked briefly about call me by your name. Um, I really wish that they had added an additional screening because I think I, that's a big film that's going to be, a big part of the Oscar conversation in the coming months um, for the two lead stars, Army Hammer, uh, probably for best actor. And unfortunately I can't remember the name of the, the younger actor in the film, but he's making a huge debut uh, this season. And I think I would have loved to have seen it, uh, but it only had two screenings. I could have gone for in the first two days of the festival and Molly's game was another one. And they did add a last minute screening on like the second last day of the festival, but that, conflicted with other things that I was seeing. So I couldn't fit that in. Um, so I just wish, you know, even though people say tip is so big, da, 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 but I'm like, sometimes it's not big enough <laughs> um, for my own standards. But yeah, I, I love this festival. I'm excited to go back and do it again next year. And more than anything, I love to rub in to people's faces that I got to see all these incredible films as early as I did and now get to watch with glee uh, as the conversation evolves over the next few months. <laughs> well, I am definitely jealous of everything that you saw. I wish I could have experienced that. Um, but I just really want to thank you for, for coming on and talking about all these movies and having such insightful comments to say. So I really appreciate you coming back again. Yeah, definitely. And hopefully we can converse more as the season goes on and we, we get to, uh, see what else happens in the in the award season and you get to see some of the films as well oh well you know that you're going to be back on during the oscar season that's, that's <laughs> definitely a given yes. um where can all of our listeners find you mahek uh you can find me on twitter at what the mahek if you're at the festival let me know what you saw uh, and you can also listen to Mahek almost every week on Capsule Podcast. Uh, yeah. You know, sometimes there's a few weeks where you don't put anything out, and that's always disappointing when I don't get that notification. I know, I know. Sean and I have taken a break because of TIFF, um, but I think next week we'll be back, so I'm very excited for the return. Excellent. <laughs> that is, is very good to hear. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at DGAPA, and I just recently uh, re 
activated the account at ContraZoom Pod. I had forgotten the password like two years ago and never bothered to reset it, but I did reset it and now I'm tweeting out of it like crazy every time I watch a movie or talking about this podcast. So you'll be getting updates on that if you follow there. Uh, make sure you check out liveandlimbo.com where all the show notes are going to be and I am going to be copying and pasting your massive list of movies that you <laughs> saw, Mahek. Mm-hmm. Uh, and depending on how uh, much effort I want to put into it, maybe I'll even hyperlink to the IMDB page. We'll see. Let's not go crazy here, but I <laughs> might do that. Sounds good. <laughs> uh, so once again, thank you so much, everyone, for listening and thank you, Mahek, for joining me. What's along what you can and cannot say on a billboard? I assume you can't say nothing defamatory and you can't say fuck, piss, or cunt. That right? Or anus? I think I'll be all right then. I guess you're Angela Hayes' mother. That's right. I'm Angela Hayes' mother. So, Mildred Hayes, why did you put up these billboards? My daughter Angela was murdered seven months ago. It seems to me the police department is too busy torturing black folks to solve actual crime. What the hell is this? Dixon, I'm in the middle of my goddamn Easter dinner. Sorry, kids. I know, Chief, but I think we got kind of a problem. Sunshine beating on the